Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. So how y'all doing? All right. Praise the Lord. Awesome. As I said, it was, uh, it was great to be away uh, for a little bit, but great to be back. Um, thankful to have opportunity to recharge the batteries a little bit. And I appreciate, I heard so much feedback about the job that Alex and James did while I was gone. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I said this in the first service, I was proud as a pumpkin every single time someone gave me a, like, and literally, even right before the service, I don't know how, I, I don't even know how many people went out of their way to tell me of how great a job that Alex and James did. And I just want to say a word of encouragement and affirmation about them. They are just phenomenal servant leaders who love Jesus, who have grace and wisdom and giftedness far beyond their years. And I am so incredibly thankful that God has entrusted us with these two kingdom leaders. Amen? Amen. And we were talking as a staff before the, the uh, I don't know if it was James or Alex, I was talking about, I think it was Alex, and we are talking about how James, like, he's not taking it easy on us the last couple weeks, right? And I'm not talking about James Murphy at the back. I know you heard the sermon James from James last week, right? But, like, Alex preached a hard word, and James preached a hard word, and guess what? I'm preaching a hard word tonight. And it's just, it's just like, when you go to Scripture, we don't get to, like, determine Scripture, right? It's like, you preach the text. What does the text say? And so, tonight is a little bit of a, a harder message, but I think you're ready for it, right? These guys are. We'll see. Hopefully, we'll get ready as we go here. Um, I don't usually have, like, titles for my sermons, Usually it's like we're talking about James chapter 3. But I have a title for this sermon. And y'all ready for the title? The title for tonight's sermon is Brackish Water. Brackish Water. And I know a lot of y'all are scratching their head, but just give me, give, me, give me 28 minutes, and hopefully we can kind of piece them things together. Let me begin by telling a story. A really fond childhood memory that I have is my mother's family grew up on an island just off of Canso um, called Durrell's Island. And a really fond memory that all I have with my 58 first cousins I have, and I'm not lying, that's crazy, we would often go to the back of the island. It, and it was just beaches, and you'd have to, there's long ways around, but the most direct route to get back to the island was to go through a swamp that had freshwater brooks, it had the eel brook there, and then you'd go to the rocks into the beach. That was the most direct route. And I remember lots of times my dad would take me back through the direct route through the swamp, and I would often get stuck, and he'd have to haul me out, and I was up to my knee in swamp. But anyways, um, one of the things I learned as a little kid is that these brooks would be, have fresh water, but when the tide was high, the salt water would come back in, and the water would become salt. It'd become brackish water. Brackish water is when salt water and fresh water kind of mix together. And so my dad explained to me, this is brackish water. And so I want to talk a little bit about brackish water. Before we get into that, you're probably wondering, what on earth 
does James chapter 3, where James talks about the tongue, has with brackish water? Well, we're not going to answer that right off the bat. Just hang in there. We'll get there. But James chapter 3 is a, a, a kind of a weightier passage of Scripture. You know, oftentimes preachers, it, you know, maybe, maybe you don't realize this, but most preachers, in order to engage a congregation, in order for them to, like, help people to lock in, oftentimes as a communicator, they'll set up a tension at the beginning of a sermon to help you lock in and help you understand that what's the point of me even listening to this guy. And so oftentimes preachers will set up a tension point to the scripture, and then talk about through the scripture how it resolves that tension. Does that make sense? Now, here's the deal with James, is usually pastors or preachers will sometimes tell a story or, or help us see why we need what the scripture is going to say, but James chapter 3 sets up the tension all by itself. It's a bit of a weightier passage of scripture, but I want to encourage you guys, lock in Hang in there for the rest of the sermon because I feel like there's some, a hopeful message to kind of get to as we go along. This is James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. This is what the scripture says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided, guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour, for, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So what we're going to do this evening is we're actually going to work through this passage of Scripture verse by verse, starting here with verse 1. Y'all good with that? All right, here we go. Verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James starts off this passage of Scripture with a word of caution to those that are teachers of the Word, that, that, that um, talk about the Word of God and teach and instruct the Word of God. And James says there's a greater strictness for those people that teach and preach the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why the Scripture says to not lay hands on someone suddenly. You don't put people into leadership in the church or into teaching roles in the church suddenly because there's a, there's a weight and responsibility that comes when you teach and preach the Word of God. Oftentimes I'll say, you know, this Word is for me. And oftentimes, in order for, uh, to protect against hypocrisy, people being hypocrites, the Lord kind of judges the teacher and preacher of the Word with greater strictness. Because hypocrisy is so damaging. Uh, this past week I was up at uh, our 
our annual district conference that we have in New Brunswick. And there, we, uh, there was four people ordained to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Three of them were women, which is awesome. And, but as they go through this process of being ordained, it's a long, drawn-out process. And even, the, even in the ceremony itself, there's a certain level of weight to it as people take on the commitment to, for the rest of their lives to commit to teaching and preaching the Word of God. There's a, there's a weight and responsibility that comes because as a preacher, I'm called to live out the word that I'm giving to you right now. And there's a certain level of healthy level of weight and responsibility that comes with that. Now, just to kind of get really practical here for a second, as I was preparing this sermon this past week on James chapter 3, I became hyper-conscious of everything that was coming out of my mouth. And the Holy Spirit was like really zoning me in on different things and like checking me when I maybe said too much or had loose lips or like there was definitely instances where I was put to the test where it's like, I'm really tempted to complain right now. I'm really tempted to gossip right now. I'm really tempted to say something negative. And the Holy Spirit was like, no way, Jay, don't do it. And so it's just, there's a certain level of where it's like, you, you, it is a challenge. And James is saying, like, not many of you should become teachers because there's such a responsibility. And preachers are judged with greater strictness. Now, James talks about this whole teacher bit to really set the stage for what he wants to talk about in this whole passage of Scripture. And what James wants to talk about in this whole passage of Scripture is the tongue. It's words that we say. James goes on to say this. Oh, by the way, Jesus said this. This is just a little uh, Scripture that Jesus said. Jesus said that we'll be judged for every idle word we use. For any of us that are talkers like me, that's like a who. Every idle word will be judged by Jesus said. James goes on to say this. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I'm thankful today that through Jesus, there is hope of a transformed life. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope one day I'll get better. Jesus, because of our faith in him, he gives us, 2 Peter 1 says, his divine nature. So we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And we're not like, like God declares us to be righteous, but God actually gives us the divine resources to actually live differently. That's the gospel is more than just being forgiven for your sin. The gospel is enabled with power from God to live your life for Jesus. Amen? And so this hope of being different is actually not an empty hope. We have the hope of actually being different. And so James here is talking about one of the primary ways we kind of grow into. It's how we use our tongue. And we can learn to not stumble as we grow and mature as a Christian. We can learn to not stumble in what we say. James goes on to say that, actually, if you can learn to not stumble in what you say, James says you're a perfect man or a perfect woman. Now, you might hear that word perfect. You're like, man, I could never get there. What are you talking about? Well, just hold on for a second here. James talked about perfect in James chapter 1, too. And he's not talking about absolute perfection. James is actually talking about maturity. It's getting to a spot, growing up to the point where you're grown up in Christ, as Colossians talked about. There's a maturity 
that God wants to bring you to where you don't stumble in these different areas of your life. How many of us want to grow and become more and more like Jesus? Right? Well, James is saying one of the primary ways we can grow and become more like Jesus is learning not to stumble with what we say. Now, some of y'all are wearing sandals tonight, and I know James and Alex have been stepping on y'all toes the last couple weeks, and just FYI, toes may be stepped on tonight, okay? And I've been stepping on my toes all week, so we're all good together, right? We all have some bruised toes when this is all done. (laughs) This is the preface for this question. Have you ever stumbled by chance with what you said? A frustrating comment in the heat of a moment? A complaining word that was unhelpful and uncalled for? The Bible says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. You ever complain in a way that was unhelpful and uncalled for? Mm-hmm. What about a word of gossip or slander about someone else that didn't need to be said? Mm-hmm. What about a crude word or joke that was not God-honoring? What about a swear word that slipped out, but you immediately felt convicted? We all stumble in many ways, the Bible says. But stumbling with what we say is top of the list. If you are able to not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So here's what James is saying about the tongue. He's saying, the hardest thing to master in your body to gain control over it is your tongue. He's saying, if you can learn to control your tongue, you can learn to control all the other parts of your body because the tongue is the very hardest. The tongue is like the hardest level in a video game. It's like level 99. You tracking? The tongue is like running an ultra marathon. If you can run an ultra marathon, a 10K is a breeze, right? That's what James is saying. Using music analogy here, like, like James is saying that Learning to control the tongue is like Beethoven's Piano Sonata number 29. Arguably the granddaddy of all difficult pieces on the piano. He's saying, if you can play that song, you can conquer all the other areas of your life. That's what James is trying to say. He's saying, this one's the hardest. This is level 99. It's the ultra marathon. It's the most complicated piece of music. If you can learn to overcome this area of your, other, of your life, the other parts are easier. That's what James is getting at here as he talks about the tongue. And in particular, he's talking about maturity. He's wanting these Jewish Christians to get to the point where they're fully formed in Christ. He's saying, this is the pathway forward. And he goes on to use some illustrations to help people to see some of the stuff that he's talking about. This is what the Bible says. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. In other words, if a bit controls a horse, he's using that as an illustration of saying, your mouth can have control over your entire lifestyle. It can control you. There's so much value and potential in a horse. A horse can do many productive things. 
It's where we get the word horsepower, right? In a similar way, our mouths have tremendous potential. Do you know that? Our mouths have the power to speak words of life. Our mouths have the power to speak words of healing. Our mouths have power to speak words of encouragement and blessing in the gospel, words of peace, words of restoration, words of scripture. Our mouths have tremendous potential to edify, to build up, to affirm, to encourage, to rebuke, to do all kinds of kingdom things. Our mouths have tremendous potential, kind of like a horse or like a ship. The other illustration that James uses, he says, look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Despite the size of the ship and the power of the wind, it's the rudder, the small rudder, that actually steers and directs the ship. That's what James is talking about here. Our words have power. Our words create worlds. We're made in God's image, and when God spoke, he spoke everything into existence, did he not? He spoke, and stars were made. Creation was born. God had power in his words, and we were made in God's image. In the same way, our words are creative. Our words often create worlds, and when we speak things out, they reinforce our thinking, and they create. Um, one of the things I was encouraging my daughter, Gracie, to do lately, she likes praying quietly, and there's nothing wrong with praying quietly, but I was encouraging her some to pray out loud. And one of the reasons I'd encourage her to pray out loud some is just to, it, it does something for us when we hear our own words talking to God. There's nothing wrong with any of you that are praying silently. I'm not saying, no, I'm not downing you for that. But there is something about us speaking words out loud. It does something. And so, and that's why the psalmists were read to be read out loud and to sung out loud. It's why we sing worship songs. Imagine if we were doing worship and nobody sang. Words, there's power in words. The Bible actually says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now we're kind of getting to the core of the challenge of the task that's on our hands. This is what James says. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, when you think about it, the tongue is a small body part compared to like your arm or your leg or your foot. And yet it says some pretty audacious things, some pretty mighty claims, and it's capable of massive destruction. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the tongue is capable of massive destruction? In the sports world this past week, um, there's a story of a professional athlete that was right at the very top um, and made some very poor choices and in particular said some specific words. And as a result, he'll likely never play the top level professional sport for the rest of his career, all because he spoke things that were wrong. Our words... There's life and death in the tongue. And our words can cause massive destructions. How many marriages have ended because of words? How many children carry scars for hurtful words being spoken? How many of us have been hurt, even as a kid, by someone saying something so cutting and so hurtful to us? We still carry those scars today, right? 
How many people have been hurt by the church because of a judgmental, critical, legalistic word spoken to them? James goes on to underscore this, and he talks about, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Sheesh, James. Man, he's uh, pretty black and white here, isn't he? he? He leaves out the guesswork. Here's the problem according to James. He says, it's a world, the, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It stains our whole body. It sets our lives on fire. And is set on fire by hell. It is just me or does that sound like a bit of a problem? <laughs> right? He sounds pretty harsh, but if you just track for a second here, I don't think it takes a lot of convincing to amen and to believe, even though he is coming on pretty hard here. He says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Think about for a second all the wrong things we've spoken different times. He says it stains our whole body. So often what we say defines who we are and puts a blemish on our lives. It sets our lives on fire, the scripture says. Some of the stuff we say can get our lives in so much trouble. And it's not just words that we spoke. Sometimes it's words that we type or text, right? How many Facebook posts have blown up and caused all kinds of headache and all kinds of disruptive things in people's lifestyle? All because of a post. And the final part, and maybe for us, the, the easiest way for us to kind of amen this or, or track with this is to think back maybe before you accepted Jesus. I think back to before I accepted Jesus and some of the things that I said and did, in particular what I said, the words I spoke to my parents and how disrespectful I was or the words I used in the dressing room before I accepted Jesus when the hockey coach told me I had to tame it down a little bit in the dressing room. You know what's bad when he tells you you have to do that. But I remember before I accepted Jesus, some of the stuff that came out of my heart, some of the words that were spoken, some cutting comments I said to my brothers or my parents and like, the Bible says here in James where the origin of that stuff comes from. And it's not hard to believe it. And it's not hard for us to believe it if we think back to our own lives and some of the stuff that we've said and done. We're like, some of us are like, where did that come from? Well, the scripture actually tells us where that came from. James goes on to say that every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He's saying all the other stuff can get tamed. Like, people can tame alligators. Figure that one out. People could tame bears and reptiles and lions and like cheetahs. I don't know about you, but when I see those people in those cages playing with those lions, I'm like, bud, not me. I see people handling these great big honking snakes. I'm like, no, I'm good, bud. I'm good. People like, I've seen videos, YouTube videos of people like wrestling with bears. Nope. But they've done it. People have tamed every creature under heaven. And it's crazy because these wild, ferocious, can kill you animals. Humans have tamed. But James says, he sets up this marveling piece. He says, it's crazy to think that humans can tame all these powerful, dangerous creatures. And James is like, and yet, humans cannot tame the tongue. Were that powerful, 
We can tame everything else, but we have the inability to tame this. No human can tame the tongue. You can't do it. Your mama can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. A swear jar can't do it. Self-help can't do it. The scripture says no human can tame the tongue. Only God can tame our tongue. And James is setting up this tension here because it's likely that the Jewish Christians were praising and meeting in church like this, worshiping God, but yet there was cursing going on amongst each other. And James is like, wait a second here. This just doesn't add up. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You see, James, in his whole letter, is all about this idea of congruence. It's all about this thing of lining up, like your inside should match your outside. What you say should match with what you do. Your faith and your works, favoritism, wisdom, all these things are all about, you know, it's a very Jewish and Christian idea of us being one. We're not two different people with who we are in private and who we are in public. And James is hitting it here again, saying, our words should just match up with our confession of faith. See, James wasn't writing to non-Christians. He was writing to Christians. And he was encouraging them with how they ought to, to be. And he's puzzled by this question. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. James is saying, it ain't right. It shouldn't be this way. It kind of echoes back to that point of maturity. If we say we're a follower of Jesus, there should be some fruit, right? And as you mature in your faith, there ought to be a change in what comes out of your mouth. I invite the worship team to come. The maturity of a Christian can be measured by what comes out of your mouth. I'm going to say that one again. The maturity of a Christian can be measured by what comes out of your mouth. So whether you've been, whether you're a new Christian and you're kind of wanting to grow in your faith and you're wanting God to change you, or whether you've been a Christian for a very long time, that's kind of really the, the point is what comes out of your mouth can be a measure of your maturity. James gets to the root here and he says this, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The Bible teaches us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we have a problem with our tongue, we actually have a problem with our heart, right? If we have a problem with our tongue, the problem is in our heart. And as I mentioned, James was writing to Christians. These Christians had experienced Jesus. They had experienced a changed heart. God had given them a new heart. They were born again in the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. 
This isn't Paul teaching about the process of transformation and God saving us. He was talking to Christians. Jesus transformed the saltwater spring into a freshwater spring. The transformation had happened. And yet, there was issues. The living out of their faith wasn't lining up with their confession of being a follower of Jesus. We sang about tonight, I choose the Jesus way. These Christians had chosen the Jesus way, and yet what was coming out of their mouths did not align with the Jesus way. Are you tracking? How does this happen? That was James' perplexion. He's like, how, does this, how can this be? Well, it happens when we allow stuff to come into our hearts that's not from God. It happens when we open ourselves to other things that takes root in our lives. It happens when we use other parts of our bodies, like our eyes and our ears and our mind and our heart, and we let stuff come in that's not from God, and we believe and accept it. It happens when we allow salt to get into our fresh water. Are you tracking? It happens when our hearts get brackish. As a Christian, you are not a salt pond anymore. You're a fresh pond. But maybe you've let some salt in. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're resentful. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're offended. Maybe you've allowed lust the love of money, the pride of life. You've let whatever salt it is come in and corrupt your spring. You've allowed something to come in. And maybe you're not fully a salty pond, but it's a bit brackish. You've let some stuff come in and take root in your heart, and it's affecting what comes out of your mouth, sometimes to the surprise of even yourself. In one way or another, we've let our guard down and haven't followed the scripture that says, keep your heart with all vigilance for flow it from the springs of life. The good news, though, is this. Some of our hearts in this room tonight are a bit brackish. We've let stuff come in. But Jesus has come to tame the tongue to take out the salt, to stop the tide of the brackish water that tries to corrupt our spring, and to fill our mouths with his word. You see, Jesus was tempted in all the ways that we are with his tongue. He was, like, I marvel at Jesus, not just the fact that he was able to not physically do the things that he was tempted by, but I marvel at the fact that Jesus was able to resist the inner temptations that no one else sees. That moment when he was tempted to be bitter on the Pharisees time and time again that kept rejecting him. Easy to get bitter, right? Easy to get resentful. Easy to hate. Easy to not love. He did not allow that stuff to take root. He said, no way. I know i got to guard my heart above all else because from it flows the issue of life. Or the moments when he was tempted with lust. The moment he was tempted with pride. The moment he was tempted to give it all up. He said, no, I will guard my heart. And what blows me away is not only that, but he took the salty sin that you and I have 
that resentment and bitterness we've let into our hearts, he took it to the cross and broke its power. So you and I could stand in this room here tonight and be forgiven for everything we've let take root in our hearts that shouldn't be there. We can be forgiven and set free because Jesus is a desalination plan. He can take the salt out of our hearts and transform us and give us grace and freshness in our spirit. That's what I love about Jesus. No human can tame the tongue, but I know a God that can, amen? And not only does he want to tame your tongue, he wants to use your tongue to do great things, to speak life, to encourage and to edify, and to speak words of, of, of encouragement, of affirmation, of healing and restoration. The living God, Jesus Christ, wants to do that. He wants to tame your tongue. He wants to take the salt. He wants to stop the tide. And he wants to fill your words with life as the living water flows from your inmost being. So maybe tonight you just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I have let bitterness and resentment and things into my spirit, judgments, criticalness, whatever the case may be, I've let brackish water come in. I've let that salt water come in, and I'm a bit brackish. Lord, would you please forgive me? And he's like, yes, and I will give you my living water, and I'll wash away the salt so you can flow in the Holy Spirit again. So that's the response here tonight as we make room for God. Will you make room to allow the master of living water to come and take the brackish water out of your soul? Let's stand again. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.